Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I am Pastor Neil Wemus. I am, actually, technically, I am Reverend Neil Wemus for only about five more days here. Um, I am getting ready to be installed as a pastor, as as associate pastor specifically, at St. Paul Luther Church in Ida Grove, Iowa. Uh, one of the interesting things is I got a couple pot. I have a few things that I record for podcast purposes. I record my sermons every week. I also have the podcast. It's called the Kiro Film Society. It is about you know movies, pop culture, um, reviewed and analyzed from a, a confessional Lutheran worldview. But one of the things that's going to come with me becoming an associate pastor is the reality that I don't preach every week. Which, you know, that's, you know, what do I do with that? And because I want to have something up every week that's specifically biblical or um, some type of a proclamation. You know, uh, when I was in, in the tribe parish, St. Peter in Ocheedon, Zion in Horton Township, uh, St. John in May City, uh, I would preach every week and I would make sure to upload a sermon every week. Well, I'm not going to have that anymore. I'm not going to be preaching every week. So what do I do? And so this last weekend was the first such weekend that I did not preach a sermon. And I'm not going to preach next Sunday. And I'm not going to preach the Sunday after that. So what do I want to do? I don't want to have three weeks without a sermon uploaded. And so what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start a new series, What's called what I'm calling the 101 Series. The purpose of this podcast is uh, to study something about the faith. All right, so I'm going to kind of give you an idea a little bit as to what I am planning. Is that the 101 series, I'm calling it the 101, and there's basically three categories of 101. The first category is studying books of the Bible. The second category is studying the liturgy. And then the third category is studying Lutheran catechesis, basic Lutheran instruction. And we're going to start with the books of, with the New Testament. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to spend a solid hour reading and, you know, analyzing, talking about whatever, a part of the Bible. And so what, wherever I'm at, at the end of the hour, I'm going to come to a nice, smooth ending. I'm going to stop there, and then I'll come back the next week. And so we're going to start with the Gospel of Matthew. We're not going to go in order. I have a specific order that I'm going in. But once I get done with the Gospel of Matthew, whatever that may be, then I'm going to go into to a few weeks talking about the liturgy. When I'm done with the liturgy, I'm going to go into a few weeks on catechesis. When I get done with the catechesis, I'm going to come back and I'm going to, we're going to read from the book of James and a few other letter, books of the New Testament. And so that's kind of the way it's going to go. This is giving a very solid, thorough learning of our scriptures, the learning of what it means to be a Christian, what we as Christians believe and so this is going to be my recording this is going to be my podcast for the week and so we're going to start right up with the gospel of matthew but before i do that and i'm going to kind of try every now and then i'll have this 
where whatever the topic is, you know, I may be going into the gospel of Matthew like today, but I'm also going to address like a special topic, a special concern, special issue, whatever. And so on Thursday of this week, February 23rd, is what is known as National End It Day. I am a person that is very passionate about the concern and the plight that comes from human trafficking. And, and I can kind of give you a little background on this story. So this podcast, I'm going to let you know, it's probably going to be a little bit more than an hour because I'm going to talk about this thing about the End It movement. But several years ago when I was in St. Louis, when I was going to seminary, Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, uh, I went to a church that was known as the Journey Church. And when I was there, there was a person, there was a, a, sh- a brief presentation about a group that's called the Covering House in St. Louis. Um, the Covering House is a shelter um, for victims of sex trafficking. Now, up until that point, the only knowledge and experience I had about sex trafficking was from the movie Taken, which really is not much experience, all right? And so it was very limited. And so I heard this person talking, and I learned, began to be interested about it. And I began to study and hear more and more about what the reality of sex trafficking is in this country. Human trafficking. And namely, that it is not just an issue in foreign countries. It's not just what you see in the movie Taken. It is happening in this country. There are stories of parents prostitutioning out their own children. I Just yesterday on Facebook, and I just cannot shake this story out of my head. And because I can't shake it, I'm not going to go into too much detail. Because if you read it, you couldn't shake it out because it was just so awfully evil. To hear that such a thing happened. Um, There's this mother down in Arizona. Prostitutioned out. Propositioned out. Her 10 year old daughter. And would sit there and watch as she was brutally raped. Over and over and over. And then she killed her daughter. I read that story. I was in the. I read that story and I just can't believe anybody would do that to their daughter, to any human being. The full depths of the story is just disturbing beyond. It's, you know, I can't believe that people would do the things they do. But anyways, you know, I hear, I just heard about it the other day. I mean, I live here in Iowa and what the biggest event in our state every year is Iowa State Fair. And I learned that that is a huge sex trafficking event in this state. Next some next January in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a few hours from here, is gonna be the Super Bowl. Well, actually it's gonna be a February, I think. And I love football, I love the NFL, I'm gonna watch the Super Bowl and all that, but the truth of the matter is, is that the Super Bowl is the number one 
sex trafficking event of the year in this country. Every year. Lately I found out about there's a there's a shelter going up not far from my former congregations and I got to visit with the person who's heading it up and you know it's listening to her tell of her experience it's just heartbreaking what I already know and combined with what she told me is heartbreaking average girl starts out 13 years old some of them forced to have sex up to 40 times a day. Can't believe these things happen in this world. And I... So the perp... What you do on February 23rd... I'm going to... I know some... I've had some people push back on this. And I know why. Because I think there's fear. And I actually I know there's fear. But I'm going to encourage nonetheless people to do this. Is to put that red X on your hand. On February 23rd. Thursday. And carry around a red marker. So that when people ask you why you have that red X. You can tell them. That this is for the many People, the millions of people around the world in modern day slavery. This is to inform people that this is happening in our country. It's happened in Sioux City, which is not far from us. It happened in Orange City, a town that is so thoroughly Christian. It's, it's been nicknamed the Holy Land by people around here. And it's happened there. It happened up in Jackson, Minnesota. It happened in Sioux Falls. It's happened in Urbandale, which is a suburb of Des Moines where I grew up. Where I, grew up. I grew up in Ankeny, which is another suburb of Des Moines. Just last Christmas, I heard about that. And see, here's the thing, Christians. You are commanded to love your neighbor as yourself. You are commanded to love people with a risk, knowing that loving someone and caring for another is going to put you in danger. And yes, it, it can not be, it's not easy. There's that quote that all evil needs to persist is for good people to stand by and do nothing. I work with youth. And I look at those kids, those, gir those girls, and I know boys get trafficked too, but it's more often girls. I look at the girls that I've worked with. And I thought, what if somebody did to them what was done to these other, to these girls around this country? And it terrifies me to think of such a thing. 
And it's for that reason I can't help but fight. Because the reality is there are other girls in this country and boys in this world that are suffering at the hands of this horrible, horrible evil. And the only way it is going to be fought is for us to stand up. Slavery in this nation ended largely because the church rose up and said no more. Racism, the civil rights movement, was largely fought because our churches stood up and said no more. We look at the evils in this country, such as this. That ex is through four mothers that we may say no more. You know, I'm a, it's no secret, I'm a big fan of Batman. And there's the story of the Batman character was, you know, you know, the, main, the background, backstory of him is that he was, his parent, when he was a child, he got done with a movie, and he's walking in the, in one of the alleys, and his parents were shot and murdered right before him. And after having seen his parents murdered before his very eyes, he said, never again. And at the risk of, of his own self, he rose up to fight crime. Now the reality is there is no real Batmans in this world. Superheroes are not real. But evil is. We hear this, I would pray that we too would say, Never again. And we fight however we can to liberate these boys and girls from such horrible evils. So with that, I'm going to kind of have a little break here and I'm going to play a recording of the video, the audio. You'll just hear the audio, obviously of um, a video that the Ended Campaign put out back in 2015. So, here you go. I am liberty. I am the hope and dream of all mankind. In the midst of
it's time to take action. So there's that ad from the end of campaign. So it's a, I encourage you again to put that red X on your hand and carry a mark around so you could talk to people about what it is. I encourage you to go on the internet, research this, see what is going on in this world, in this nation. All right. Inform people. And then when you have done that, come home. And, you know, the reason I'm telling you to carry red X is in case they're like, whoa, that's really important. Have them put a red X on their hand, all right? So they could go do the same as you're doing. But when you get done with the day, whenever, or maybe you do it at the beginning of the day, whatever. Go home, find an organization that fights human trafficking in some way or another and support them. There's the End It Movement, who is pushing this. There's Polaris International, which is a really good one. Make sure you don't actually get Polaris, the snowmobile company. I, I've done that before. So look for Polaris, the human trafficking, um, the anti-human trafficking group. Uh, look for another one is the Wayne Foundation, which is put up by Kevin Smith. You want to listen to a really good podcast, go listen to Kevin Smith's podcast on this. Um, listen to, go to... Um, the covering house I mentioned before, Truckers Against Trafficking. Truck stops is a major spot where traffickers are put. I've been told by other truck drivers that these truck the, these girls are referred to as lot lizards. They know that this is a problem in truck stops. Truck drivers do. They're very aware of it. Support Truckers Against Trafficking because they are a front line against this to stop it. Um, call, support... Uh, Another one is there's a, a there's a shelter going up near where I was at before, and I mentioned this at the beginning. And this is probably who I'm going to support this year. Is uh, it's called uh, Life Back Ministries. They're trying to get a shelter up. It's right on the border of Minnesota and Iowa. Uh, I strongly, strongly encourage you support someone. It's not inform people. 
and then do something about it, all right? So that's what I got for that. Um, and so we're going to roll right into um, the primary theme of this podcast. And we are going to begin going into the Gospel of Matthew. And so um, we're going to start right up in chapter 1. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. If you want to use another version of the Bible and you want to follow along on that, that's okay. But I'm going to use the ESV. So it starts in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham, or the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amadab, and Amadab the father of Nashan, and Nashan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. So I'm going to pause there for a moment. In the in the, New, the Old Testament, there's this idea that we have that the Old Testament, oh, that's old, we don't need to read it anymore. It's not important. I'm a New Testament Christian, some people will say. But the Old Testament is important because the Old Testament is all about Jesus. All right? That's important. So you hear this text, and you hear all these people mentioned. We know about Abraham. We hear about Isaac and Jacob. Um, we hear about Judah. We hear about some of these people. But the interesting names that come out of this is Boaz by Rahab. Rahab, if you know your Old Testament, shows up in the book of Joshua. Rahab is the one who um, let the spies into Jericho. She was a prostitute. Interesting, huh? Given what I just talked about in the campaign. Now, this is a different kind of prostitute. This isn't a sex trafficked one. This is a professional sex worker, as they call it. There is a difference between sex workers and human trafficking victims. I should kind of mention that. Both have moral issues. Both are not good, but it's a different kind of evil. The Rahab was a sex worker. She was a prostitute. And the Bible does not praise this. It's very well understood that this is a sinful work. You are not to have sex with anyone who is not your spouse. Alright? So, this... So Rahab, as a li for a living, slept with countless men, likely. And yet, it's this woman that is included in the genealogy that leads to the birth of Jesus. So this is showing how God, this is something that's so cool about the genealogy, especially in Matthew. There's, we'll do Luke's genealogy quite a ways down the road. But in Matthew's genealogy, you have these surprising people. And the first one in there is Rahab. You don't expect that. She's a prostitute. And yet this prostitute, God used her to be an instrument in the salvation of the nation of Israel, but also 
is an instrument to um, save everyone through Christ, right? Then you have Ruth. If you ever read the book of Ruth, it's one of the cool stories of the Old Testament. Such an awesome one. Just read through that first chapter. And you read about how rotten of a situation Ruth is in. And yet she sticks by her mother, Naomi. Her mother-in-law, I should say. She sticks with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Sticks with her th through thick and thin, knowing that she will probably never have a husband, never have children, because she is sticking with her mother-in-law. And yet, through her relationship to her mother-in-law, she meets Boaz. And she gets married. And she has a child. And here we see that Rahab is the grandmother to David. See, these stories have a purpose. Continuing on. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Again, another surprise candidate. David, who's the wife of Uriah? Bathsheba. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And you read about David. Who should have been off at war. Stayed home, and late in the evening he got up on the roof and he saw this beautiful woman bathing on the roof. And by the way, I want you to understand something. Bathsheba, most bathing houses in the time of David would be covered. Bathsheba's was not covered. So she removed the covering for some reason or another, and probably it's because she wanted David to look. And so David was attracted to her, invited her over. It doesn't say he raped her. She wanted him, and he wanted her. This was a mutual um, infidelity. And so Bathsheba is married to Uriah, a noble soldier of David. And so David sleeps with Uriah. Well, not Uriah. <laughs> sleeps with Bathsheba. Sorry. He sleeps with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. And when she gets pregnant, David has Uriah killed. Basically murders him. And then that child dies. And such a horribly immoral, sinful, awful thing that David did. And yet... Through the marriage between David and Bathsheba came the birth of Solomon. Huh. And Solomon, I mean, let's face it, Solomon was definitely not your model king either. I mean, he had so many wise and concubines. I mean, the guy was not exactly the wise, he was wise. But he definitely wasn't wise when it came to women, it appears. Or he had the wisdom, but, but didn't use it. Whatever the case, Solomon is also on this. So we have deep, sinful people on this list. And it says, And the Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, 
And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, <coughs> excuse me, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And note, this is actually showing the breakup of this genealogy. So the first part of the genealogy, so Abraham to David, is marking out the genealogy prior to the Israel, Israel is um to the kingdom of Israel. All right. Um, granted, I know Solomon's kind of in there. Um, or not Solomon. Saul is in there before David, but it's still, nonetheless, um, that's what it's breaking out, is that period. Then the next section is from David to from the start of the kingdom to the end of the kingdom, to the fall of the kingdom. And by the way, this is something that's interesting. is talking about the um, exile to Babylon. You know, we read about... Uh, especially in 2 Kings, things get really, really bad in 2 Kings. The northern kingdom is destroyed, obliterated, to never be found again. We still, to this day, do not know where the northern kingdom ended up. The southern kingdom was just as bad as the northern kingdom, and yet they were never destroyed. Why not? Well, that's what we're getting here. So they get to the, they're deported to Babylon rather than being wiped out by the Assyrians. So it continues. It says, and after the deportation to Babylon, jo Jeconiah was the father of Sh Shiltael, and Shiltael was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Elad, and Elad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ." So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to de the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So why do we have... So this is a genealogy, we go through it. You know, why have this? Why not just skip through? Why don't I just jump right down to verse 18, get into the fun narratives, the Christmas story, right? Why not just jump there? Well, hopefully you got it from me mentioning some of this. This is letting you know that the Old Testament, and it's actually very appropriate that Matthew is the first gospel. It's the first writing in the entire New Testament. If you read through the New Testament, the very first thing you read is this genealogy. It's connecting the New Testament to the Old Testament. It is letting you know the reason that this that the southern kingdom was not obliterated, the northern kingdom was, is because in that southern kingdom was this line to the Messiah. You have to go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, God said that the offspring of the woman, Eve, 
would crush the serpent's head. So he made the promise all the way back then. That's known as the Proto-Euangelion, the first gospel. So all the way back then, God gave the promise to man. The promise of a Messiah who would conquer sin. And he didn't break his promise. This is why Noah was preserved. Because God was preserving his promise. This is why we know when Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac. We know that somehow or another Isaac is going to be okay. Because God gave the promise to Abraham. That his son Isaac would be the first of offspring more numerous than the stars above. And this is a continuation of that offspring, that seed that was promised to Eve. So we know somehow or another, Isaac is going to end up better. Even if he is to be slain, God would rise him from the dead. All right? This is why the southern kingdom is not destroyed. See, we read the story of Rahab, we read the story of Ruth, we read about the horrible things that David does, that Solomon does. We see the things that happen in that southern kingdom, and God does not wipe it out. Why? Why does he preserve them in Babylon? Because our God is keeping his promise, his promise of a Christ. The promise of the Christ who would crush the serpent's head. That's why. That's why we read the Old Testament. That's why we read that genealogy. It is showing that God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham. In the case of um, Matthew, it is showing that he is fulfilling the promise he made to Abraham. All right? That's why we read it. So we jump forward to, um, ver so let's go into verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. <coughs> so I want to note that in verse 18, if you have an English Standard Version like I do, right after Jesus Christ there is a little um, letter a little footnote to let you know that some manuscripts say just the, now the birth of the Christ. And there, there is disagreements amongst the manuscripts. There's some that will say now the birth of Jesus. There's some that will say now the birth of the Christ. Which one is right? Um, it was debated. And so the church could not really come to a consensus. And so as a result, they just smushed them together. They decided to go with now the birth of Jesus Christ. I am of the belief, and I go with some of the church fathers on this, that it should actually be now the birth of the Christ. And it makes sense, because we just went through the genealogy. It says, it's because the way it ends, it says, And Jacob the father Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was the, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 
14 generations. And what's more is that Greek word that we translate as birth is the Greek word is actually genesis, which literally means beginning. That's where the word the Greek the word that we have for the first book of the Bible, Genesis, it's the first words is in the beginning. That's the Greek word. Genesis means beginning. So it's actually the now the beginning or the becoming of the Christ took place in this way. In other words, this is about the manifestation, the appearing of the Christ, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham and before that to Adam and Eve. When his Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be born with to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, what Joseph is doing is pretty understandable, honestly. He He's engaged to his wife, Mary. And she's, you know, likely about 13 years old, 13 to 15 years old at this time. He's engaged to her. And she ends up pregnant. He's never been with her. He never slept with her. And she's pregnant. And so his first thought is going to be, ah, well, she's got to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, obviously. I mean, that's the only way it could be. I mean, that's not going to be where he's going to jump. That's not the conclusion he's going to come to. He's going to think she cheated on him. She's an adulterer. And the fact that he's going to divorce her quietly is actually an act of incredible kindness, assuming that she did what he thinks she did. Because the punishment for what he thinks she did, the punishment for adultery is to be stoned to death. And so, Joseph is protecting her from that. He doesn't want her to die, but he can't go through with the marriage, and that's the whole thing here. And so, but it says that he's a just man. Is he just because he wants to divorce her quietly? No. He is just because he wants to divorce her. He is just to do this. And you will read it later in the Gospel of Matthew, that infidelity is grounds for divorce. Joseph is not being sinful for desiring this because he is not, there is no way on earth he could have known what was going on with Mary. So that's why it says, as he considered, so it continues in verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now there's kind of an interesting thing here. <coughs> so Jesus, Joseph is approached in a dream, which is probably the reason why Joseph doesn't freak out like many of the others do. Uh, most of the others, when they are greeted by angels, they freak out. Even Mary kind of was, oh boy. But she was awake. Joseph was in a dream, which is why he doesn't react the way some of the others do. Uh, but there's a little thing here in the verse where it says that, she, that for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
some of the church fathers actually wanted to put this that you it was conceived through her or something like that. And the reason they would talk this way is because it's to emphasize that Jesus, the Christ, existed prior to the conception. He's always existed. He was the one that spoke the world into creation, as it says in John's Gospel. He is divine. He is God in the flesh. And so, some church fathers would try to change up the language to get that, to understand that Mary is merely the vessel through whom God chose to have his son be born. So there's nothing special about Mary in, in and of herself, but Mary, but our God made her special by choosing her to be the vessel for the Christ. And so the scripture, some, some of the church fathers would try to emphasize that by changing up the words. And even some versions of the, of the creed will do that change up to kind of um, capture that. It says, She will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what the Christ is. You know, that's why, you know, God kept his promise all throughout those genealogies. That's why you read that genealogy. That is letting you know that God is keeping his promise to deliver his children from sin, death, and the devil. And that's what Jesus' name means. He's called Jesus, which means he saves. And he saves, he's specifically saving us from our sins. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why he was born. He was born to suffer and die on the cross and to rise from the dead in order to save you, me, and all his children from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. Uh, it's actually of note that some more liberal scholars will deny the virgin birth. And they'll say that in Isaiah chapter 7, the word, the Hebrew word that is translated as virgin can also be translated as young woman. And that is true. The problem falls in when you're reading the Gospel of Matthew, um, when it says, Behold, the virgin is actually using the word, Greek word parthenos. And it also shows up in Luke's Gospel, uh, which is why Mary says, How can this be? For I am a virgin. Um, and even the <clears throat> Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, translates virgin um, translates it with Parthenus. And Parthenus can only mean virgin. It never means young woman. So the New Testament writers and the Greek translators of the, of the Hebrew Old Testaments understood it to be virgin, not young woman. So that is of importance. And then you have this title, Emmanuel. Jesus has many names, as we learn throughout the scriptures. 
It says, they shall call his name Emmanuel. It doesn't say, you shall call him Emmanuel. It says, they shall call him Emmanuel. And it's kind of interesting that this is recorded in Matthew's gospel. Matthew is a guy that likes to use chiasms. Chiasm is it's a, it's a medical term referring to the cross paths of blood vessels. In, the, in Greek literature, it's referring to a literary style where laying one verse or sec, sequence of thought is reflected in another sequence of thought, thought towards the end. And so here, this is the, ver the extreme ends of the chiasm. Verse 23, we're at really at verse 18 to 25 is really the start of Matthew because the genealogy is really more of a prologue. So now we are actually in the Gospel of Matthew. So verse 23 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You jump all the way to the other end of this, the book of Matthew, to Matthew 28, to that last section, which would be the reflexive chiasm, where Jesus says, Go therefore and make, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So you have there, baptizing them, which is forgive sins. Actually says, make disciples, which makes them his people. Baptizing them, which forgives sins. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. I who am Emmanuel, God with us, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so you see this reflection that Matthew is setting forth. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Continuing on to chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. <coughs> now I want you to note something. The word wise men in here is better translated as magi. Now the word, I mean, yes, they were wise men, but the understanding of the word wise men is a very different definition in our day. When we read the word wise men, we tend to think of people who are wise, who are sages, and they have wise thoughts and wise sayings. In the time that, you know, the time of the King James, the time of... Luther, wise men actually would refer to magicians, stargazers, people who um, tried to predict the future, things like that. That's what the word magi means. So magi is actually a Persian, it's a title of a per group of Persian people who were stargazers. They looked at the stars for predicting the future, which makes sense as to why they were interested by this star. And the nature of what's going on here, you have this realization that this is not a normal star. The I mean, they're coming from 
what would be modern day Iran, and they're going to Bethlehem, and which would take a pretty long time to make that travel. And the star would not stay in the same place, but it did. And in fact, as we will say later, it probably took them at, le at the minimum three months to get there. At minimum, three months. The star would not stay there for three months. It was doing something abnormal. This is not a normal star, which is likely what got their attention. And they heard it was in Bethlehem, so they very naturally would have assumed it belonged to the king of the Jews. So it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So they're troubled because they know Herod's nature. Herod is a paranoid sociopath quite often. He was known, he, it is known that he killed two of his sons. He killed one of his wife, his wives, um, because he believed that they were plotting to overthrow him. The fact that a the possibility that the Messiah is being born would terrify Herod, would cause Herod to do something. And the whole people were worried, were concerned, troubled, because they were not certain what Herod would do. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So you have that prophecy, you are no means least among the rulers of Judah. This is written that way because Bethlehem was a small town. Population estimates of Bethlehem was around 800 at the time. It was not big by any stretch of the imagination. So it's, it seems like an unlikely town to have this great ruler, the shepherd of my people Israel. So then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to, they departed to their own country by another way. So at the point of this, uh, Jesus is already living in um, a house with his parents, uh, and I, I could go into a little bit more detail of that when we, whenever I get to the Gospel of Luke. There is some more to discuss about that. But they're in a house. And this is where we kind of get highlighted some things, misunderstandings about the Magi. The things that we get wrong with the Magi, and it's especially highlighted in one of the songs, is we three kings of Orient are. It says that there are three, that they are kings, and they are from the Orient. 
One thing we know is that they are not... We don't know if there were three. Um, we only know that, that there's more than one because the Greek word for magi is written in the plural. Typically, people say three because there are three gifts. We, they were most likely not kings, although I've heard an argument that they were. And they were most likely not from the Orient. Uh, because... The Orient usually refers to China or, you know, that part of the world, not Persia. The word Magi actually lets you know that they came from the old Persian Empire. <clears throat> so this is, so there's some misconceptions. But the thing is, these gifts <clears throat> that are brought to Jesus are significant. Gold is a gift for a king. Frankincense and myrrh are specifically gifts that are used for burial. And that is of real significance. I don't think the Magi realize it, but it is a significance what they're doing. Is that it is letting, this is the first note from Matthew. It's the, the illusion. You don't see it completely, but it's definitely being alluded that this child is going to be buried. That he is going to die. And that frankincense and myrrh being a gift is the first um, foreshadowing of this, right? Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So you hear about this when this dream came. This, if this was going to be a movie version, if you were to watch this in film, they had to move fast. All right? Because the distance from Jerusalem to Bethlehem wasn't a short distance. It was not a long distance. Jerusalem to Bethlehem would be like from... Would be they could get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem by horse within an hour. That is why I mean they probably left stuff behind. They had to get out of there fast. All right, so this is a very dramatic moment. Uh, <clears throat> so, and actually, and so that's this is really a dangerous thing, but this is showing that Herod. The king of the earth is desiring, and this is actually letting you know that God is in control. Herod desired to have Jesus killed, but God is in control. Jesus will die, but on God's terms, when God is ready. It's on his terms, not on Herod's terms. And that's what you're getting here. It's a Although Herod has a will, he has a desire of what he wants to happen to this Christ, his desire will not win out. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Now, there's, a, there's some historical dispute as to whether or not this happened. There are people that will argue that this never happened because there is no historical reference of this 
outside of the Gospel of Matthew. And But the thing is, is that what we know about Herod, I talked about it earlier, that he was a paranoid person. He did some awful, awful things. What we know about Herod and the fact that Bethlehem was the size of was, you know, only 800 people. You know, how many, pe- how many male children under the age of two could really be in a town of 800? It's not going to be that huge. And especially in a day there's no internet, there's no television, you know, there's no newspaper, there's nothing, not radio, nothing to get the word spread around. So probably what would have happened is when Herod did this, people would have heard and think, oh, oh, here we go, Herod's at it again. Nobody would have batted an eye because they're so used to Herod doing things like this. And I think that would explain why we don't have record of it outside of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, this two years and under thing also helps us to kind of date um, when all this happened. Uh it had to have happened at least, uh, probably at least, what is it, 40 days, at least 40 days later. And the reason we know this, because it was 40 days after that Herod, that Jesus was brought to the temple, he was dedicated at the temple, um, the purification of Mary, as it is recorded in the Gospel of Luke. They would not have gone to Jerusalem if they were being hunted by Herod. Um and so it had to be at least that, but it could have been as many as two years. So somewhere in between, you know, 50th day, somewhere in between about 50 days and two months was, or two years, sorry, 50 days and two years is probably, is the gap of time that ha- when the Magi appeared. The exactness on that, you know, is within debate. It could be, and the reason they say that it could be as low as 50 is because it might be that Herod is so angry, he just said, you know what, I figure I'm going to go kill all t- everybody under the age of two just to be safe, you know, just to be safe, or whatever. Uh, so, it continues, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. That's a heartbreaking verse. You know, you can't even begin to imagine the heartbreak and the sorrow of what happened on that day. Verse 19, but when Herod died, and by the way, this is helping us, this also helps us to date when this happened overall. Um, Herod <clears throat> died, I think it was about 5 BC. So um, the birth of Jesus probably was about 7 BC. Uh, based upon that, so somewhere in there. Because uh, he died pretty shortly after they got into Egypt, it appears. But behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So Nazareth, is, just a little detail on Nazareth. 
Uh, Nazareth is a very small town, which is why people say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was not on any major uh, trade routes. It was a town that you didn't go to Nazareth unless you had to go to Nazareth because it was was not on your way to anything. Um, It was a town of, you know, probably 50 people or less. It was a very, very small community. Um, It's a and so that's why it's actually very surprising to people that the Messiah would come out of town as small as and insignificant as Nazareth. Nazareth is even more insignificant than Bethlehem. Um, and then it says that he would be called a Nazarene. Uh, there's a debate about what that means, what Matthew's referencing, because there's no verse that straight up says he would be called a Nazarene. There's there's verses talk about prophesying about a Nazarite, but not a Nazarene. That's different. And so there's debate as to how Matthew came up with this. Maybe he's referencing um, some rich, some scripture that nobody knows about. Um, maybe he, I've heard that maybe he's merging um, a couple of verses, a couple of prophecies into one. Um, there's a lot of theory about what he is alluding to. Um, so uh, that's what we're going to end with uh, as we go through this. Uh, and so we'll move into chapter 3 uh, next week sometime. So I pray that this was a blessing to you and you enjoy it. Uh, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Again, I am Pastor, Reverend, soon to be again, Pastor Neil Wemus. I live here in Ida Grove, Iowa. If you happen to be anywhere in the area, you live in Sioux City, Storm Lake, whatever, I encourage you to come and check out our church. Uh, my installation is going to be this coming Sunday. Um, you can find our services are at 6 o'clock Saturday night and then 8 and 10.30 on Sunday morning. Um, if you do not live in the area or you don't want to come out here, uh, I encourage you to go find a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church which teaches and preaches law and gospel. You can find these churches at www.issuesetc.org. You can look at www.lutheranliturgy.org or um, you could go to www.lcms.org and go to any of their Find a Church tabs and you should be able to find a good church in the area. So the Thank you, and the the Lord bless you in your week to come. Amen.